Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. I feel like I need to hand in my Motown card. What well, I wrote Charles K looking delicately at a mug. Miles sets her straight, dot dot dot, like a boss. Like a boss. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode 11, Off the Job Experience. Hello. Hello. Hello, all. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Here we are. I feel like I need to do a dun 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 dun. dun. I have a. I played trumpet for like nine years. I should be able to do a fanfare. Or we could just say fanfare. Fanfare. Oh, that's a thing now. I'm Welcome a- everybody. Fanfare. I throw confetti. Physical confetti. Or just my cats. <laughs> I like to uh, jokingly send people emojis as words. Oh yes. Smiley oh, I love emoji. This. <laughs> I think I'm Smiley hilarious. Emo- so I have this set of girlfriends, and we one day made the pact that we were only going to converse in gifts for the entire day we started well, the day it's fun because it's amazing and then at some point a couple months ago we then started because we use a lot of the same gifts back and forth to each other so then we started respond to each other in describing the gift we would have sent yes so suddenly i'm like dancing kitten get sombrero on head it's the best speaking of gifts we still have the word out to the world and yes. the internet to have more Murphy Brown gifts. I need gym gifts like it's my job. We need tons of them. Please. We need to have a whole conversation in Murphy Brown gifts. I need that. I can do that. This is this is my, I think my highest form of communication is my ability to choose a gift. You're really good at it. Thank you very much. I'm learning from you. Yes. It's funny because one of the very few gifts on the internet is from this episode. Yes, from this one. Yes. You yes. see how I brought up full circle? Look at you. I'm so good. She's so professional, Queen y'all. of the transition. Queen of Segway. So today's episode is written by Tom Seeley and Norm Gunsenhauser. We like is, them. We do. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Shocker. Shocker. And it aired January 23rd, 1989. Now, before we get into the episode... Yes. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Lauren. We Can't we pretend it never happened? We can. We could. But I want the people to hear your your true reaction to a realization. <laughs> because it's important to note... Oh, no. Are you going to read my text messages that I say? <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that. Thank you. I won't quite open the wound again. But Thank it's, you. I appreciate uh, it. I think it's important for people to hear our humanity. And that we're... We're human, and we put our pants on one leg at a time. Did it have to be Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell? I did it have to be? It did for the lesson. Oh, God. So, Lauren, what happened? So, in our last episode of episode, mm-hmm. not the interview with Steve. In Kyle. In Kyle. Um, we talked about the wrong song. <laughs> <laughs> we went very in-depth into a, an incorrect song. Really in-depth? I mean, so it's great I, to learn that about said song. I love that I can laugh about it. Yes. <laughs> there was not laughing at first when a very kind listener shared the yes. news with us. Thank you, kind listener. <laughs> so in penance, Lauren would like to share what, a- what song was actually playing in Kyle. Yes. <laughs> I can stop laughing. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you, it's okay now. You're safe. <laughs> You're safe here. It's a safe place. This it's is a safe, safe place, place, and we all love you. Thank you. Including that car that just drove by. I know. I think it loves me more. <laughs> it loves you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the song was Your Precious Love, which is a 1967 Motown hit by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. We are fans. I'm huge fans, yeah. so that's why it hurts just that hurts so much little, more. bit more. Obviously, didn't listen to that song as much. Of course, going back, I, I listened and went, oh, yes. That's very much them. <laughs> I think I knew that probably listening to it and just somehow got into some sort of internet hole. Anyway. You heard you heard a lyric. I did. And you went off the lyric. Went off the lyric. It's fine. Um, funny enough, this song is written by Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson. Mm-hmm. It is, involves the Funk Brothers. Funk Brothers. It is a doo-wop style recording for the vocals, which is interesting. Those of you who are not familiar with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell did sing separately, but together most famously, I think this is how I see it, you know, I feel like Marvin Gaye definitely was more known 
by himself than she was. Yeah, yeah. But she also died very young, so that could be part of it. Probably. Yeah. He, I mean, so did he, but he lived a little bit longer. Well, and also, it's just the nature of he had some some particular hits that have shown up a lot in pop culture again yeah. and again. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say a little bit more about them for when we, because there's a lot of their songs in the show. And I do adore them, but something interesting is that they were in a relationship together. Mm-hmm. Um, very sadly, she died in his arms on stage Ugh. after having a aneurysm, Bonk. which sounds like it's from some movie. Yeah, it, it sounds like a movie. Yeah. So I'm going to briefly talk about that because talking about it more will hurt my heart. And you heard enough. Every time I hear the song, I'll go, oh, God. Penance. I feel like I need to hand in my Motown card. No, you keep Bye, that. Bye, guys. I don't deserve you, I don't love. deserve you. Uh, and so there we go. Moving on to today's episode. <laughs> so the day after this episode came out, this really cool article on Candace Bergen came out in Rolling Stone. Funny enough, it's always been one of my favorite interviews, and Candace, in her second biography of Fine Romance, actually quotes some of it. This is one of these articles in my scrapbook that I photocopied from the library. Oh, oh, it's nice. It's the, Oh, it's in the nice uh, scrapbook pages that are the sticky on one side with the film over it, which... Well, that is my entire scrapbook. Oh, those are all the scrapbooks and photo albums I grew mm-hmm. up with. And my yeah, grandma had every single one of them, and I love them. Uh, I just don't see them anymore, and I love how they, over time, they go that kind of, like, orangey, sienna-colored. So this is January 26, 1989, one of my favorite quotes in here is just sort of how Candace has friends were giving her a hard time, kind of like Frank does. Mm-hmm. And she said that uh, a friend of hers, after seeing the show, uh, gave her a call uh, and said, well, Bergen, the secret's out. Now the world will know what the rest of us know, which is that you are a total asshole. <laughs> That's going to be the letter I get from someone. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the article, they call Murphy a hornier, thornier version of Rosalind Russell. Okay. In His Girl Friday. She is Linda Ellerby as a glamour puss. She is simply put, hard candy. That's the name of the article. You will learn that there are lots of articles on Candace Bergen with puns about her name. Yes. Very clever. Yes. It's a thing. It is a thing. And then... This same week. Well, then, on that exactly that same week, four days later on January 28th, um, someone named Candace Bergen won the Golden Globe for Murphy Brown. Yeah. And what I like is looking who she was up against. Oh, yeah, tell us. Um, she was up against Betty White for the Golden Girls. I like this. I said Beatrice Arthur well, technic- for the Golden Girls. Technically, that's her billing. We just yeah. all forget. We all just say B. Arthur. Yeah. Um, Roseanne for Roseanne. And Tracy Ullman for the Tracy Ullman Show. All shows that I grew up watching, I was obsessed with the Tracy Ullman Show so and tried I. to do all of these characters. Go which, home. Go home. Go home. Um, I also like noting that just because this has come up multiple times, that the uh, best series, best drama series that year was 30-something. I noticed that, too. <laughs> just want to wanna share that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always so interesting because the Golden Globes come out usually halfway through a, a, a first season season. Mm-hmm. So if you, as an actress, if you win for that, you really won for half a season, which mean, is a lot to say. And look at you the first people. half, yeah. yeah. You beat people who are up for two halves of one season mm-hmm. or a full season. Yeah, for a full season. So that that's interesting to me. Back to the episode. Yes. So the episode opens with the song Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the U.S. promo single, single by Stevie Wonder from his 1976 album Songs in the Key of Life. So I thought this was interesting because I had never heard of a promo single before. Yeah, I assumed EP. Yeah. So the idea is that it was released to radio stations to publicize the album, but it wouldn't be released as a commercial 45 single, which means that it couldn't chart. You had to buy the full album yeah. to listen to it. And he refused to even release it because it was so popular on the radio. Yeah, and people, that's funny because people are doing that more and more now. Like if you look at buying something on iTunes, there's a lot of times where you can get a couple things, but you they are they're making it more and more restrictive that you have to buy the full album, which makes sense because yeah. we're, we're people are losing album sales. And they must have done this a lot more, but maybe we just didn't realize it because you yeah. were so young. But yeah. so that really and took I know me that back. single so well that I think exactly. I just assumed it was a commercial single. Yeah. So the song um, he's singing about the birth of his daughter Aisha, which makes sense if you listen to it. So the full album songs in the key of life. It's the 18th album by Stevie Wonder which, again, we talked a couple episodes ago about how freaking young he was, and mm-hmm. that's not fair. Um, it was released on September 28th, 1976, by Motown Records, uh, through the, the Tamla Records. Is that the correct? Or is it mm-hmm. Tamla? 
Uh, it's the I say the, Tamla. Tamla, right? Yeah. Um, it's considered the culmination of his classic period albums because he's you know. It's one of been my making favorite albums, albums forever. <laughs> it's one of my favorite albums. It's, it's a great amazing album. Al- Sir Duke is on it. Yes. I wish As is on mm-hmm. it. But something that caught me, I may be mistaken. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of songs in the series. Yes. But I, I think that this might be the latest song on Murphy Brown. It's from 1976. That's an older song, yeah. Especially for the style. Yeah. I, and and again, by older, it, I mean newer. Right? I know how words work. And it could just be because it's the first season and they're, they're testing things out and they realize sure. they wanted to be more sort of in a more in a 60s Motown. Yeah, they really want to go classic. Yeah, but also Stevie Wonder is such of that time as well, even in the 70s. And he produces for decades. Yeah, but I found that interesting. And also because I am not as familiar with season one as I am with season two and three mm-hmm. because I really didn't see it in its entirety, even yeah. though it was syndicated, but I didn't see it unedited until the DVD came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. I have more favorite seasons that I've seen more frequently. Yes, yes. Um, but that really tr- struck me. I was like, oh, this is really late mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I hadn't even thought about that. It make, I mean, you can even kind of hear it in the style, but now I'm, now I'm really intrigued to see what they're going to do musically for the, the revival. So am I. And I, I'm very intrigued. I wonder if... The rights, I mean, obviously they're different contracts now, so rights Very issues different. may not be an issue. Yeah, but it does sound like that Motown and old songs do have a bit of a juggernaut when it comes mm-hmm. to that as well. That they're a little bit tougher. So I, I, I wonder if they're going to maybe mix it up a bit. I mean, you're going to have younger characters, that's right? A, that's the thing is, I, I really wonder because this this style of music is so intrinsically linked to Murphy. Yeah, you can't not have it. So I wonder if there's going if. I mean, there are multiple avenues you could go. You could have a mix of this and newer music, mm-hmm. um, especially if, you know, we end up focusing a lot on Avery, perhaps. And But he, you know, for example, I grew up with parents who were, or you know, original baby boomers mm-hmm. and sisters who are Gen X. So I grew up with music much older than my generation. So there's a very good chance that Avery is a Motown fiend because grew up with it. Absolutely. There's so many options. But you could also have that it's like the old meeting the new. So we have a mix or we allow it to adjust or we see re- new versions and covers of Motown classics. Or that we would see, be interesting. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued and because it's such a notable part of the series. Yeah. And also later on as the series went on, there was less and less songs. Yes. And you just had sort of that small little opening of exactly. the the theme, if you can call it the theme. Mm-hmm. of, And then it went right into the episode. Yep. And I'm sure that also has to do with time. Yep. But... There's that, but I feel like you can't, you have to have something. And there's still a lot of Motown. (laughs) There is. So they could potentially go all the way. I'm not, I don't think I necessarily have a preference either way because I'm, my interest is piqued at the idea of doing something different. Same here. But I also love the idea of being classic. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. Shall we talk about the episode? Yeah, let's go into the episode. Let's do it. So we start off with this great juxtaposition of the lyrics and Murphy. Isn't she lovely? But she is irritated, and she's trying to hold in her her anger. And I love the little close-ups of her hands, mm-hmm. of the pencil, going of in her, her mouth, of her feet, sort of going back and forth. You know, trying to like keep in how upset she is. Well, she the, does look very lovely in a pink suit. Yes, she does. She it, she just looks sassy and lovely (laughs) which also made me realize too that this is the same suit as the blue suit Mm -hmm. from kyle Mm -hmm. and the collar is not white it's part of the blouse which i think she's worn before and then recently when candace bergen was talking about the revival she said they used to like mass order outfits from like Mm -hmm. calvin klein and i thought oh this is they just bought the same suit i do that all the time if i go into a place and they have a great like the loft if i go in the loft and they have like a blouse that i can wear and they have it in three colors. If I like the fit, I will buy all three colors. So pretty much what's happening is that Murphy is interviewing Colonel Fitzpatrick. It doesn't look like the interview is going her way. He, I have in my little rundown here, Colonel is, and then in all caps, gesticulating. He is <laughs> speaking quite fiercely, and she is not having it. And Miles, you can see it on Miles. You can see the reaction to Jim, who at one point is like, oh. They are in pain over they're, there. They are in pain. And I, I think they're in pain because they know how much she is in pain. They can see the, they can see it building. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with the pencil, what's mm-hmm. great is that 
the sort of, I guess, downbeat uh-huh. at the end is her putting the pencil in her mouth. Yes, and you're like, oh no. Yes. This this colonel is going on about how good Americans, real Americans, you know, they 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 they, they don't want what Murphy and the media want, because she's a naive person. Naive with, people like yourself. Yes. Ooh. What they want is uh, the necessary spending on money and weaponry if we're going to survive. Uh, and Murphy keeps throwing in, you know, she says the country spends $300 billion a year on defense and only $20 billion on education. And uh, and he doesn't believe that the Russians, our enemy, is going to respect us. He says the Soviets. Oh, the Soviets. He yes. uses the Soviets, which is very of the time. He Well, and right before this, he also says, he makes a statement that the security of this country is priority over winning spelling bees. That made my heart hurt. It I'm made, like, oh. it's very current. Very much so. It's, and it was... Um, Especially in the light of what's been happening post Parkland, it's uh, with the discussion of teachers mm-hmm. and education and arming people or not. That statement is giving me chills right now because mm-hmm. it's. And then people. I think, just saw it on Facebook. I just saw that statement on Facebook. You know, it's. Uh, it's just it ooh. bugs me because then people complain. Oh, we're not number one anymore. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why. It. I do appreciate that the colonel. Mm-hmm. while on the other side of a debate is holding his own against her because while she's being and well you'll continue in a second mm-hmm. what she keeps doing but he even says things like wake up and smell the borscht miss brown like he's he's intelligent which i think is what's even more frustrating as yeah. an interviewer because he's intelligent but as far as she's concerned he is wrong yeah and but I, he can go toe to toe he's mansplaining her sure and I agree. He also, I think, has this false sense of confidence because as soon as she's away, he can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. He's okay speaking down to this woman, mm-hmm. but as soon as she's gone, he's completely tongue-tied. Well, and the thing is, I obviously I'm pro um, shutting down the mansplaining, mm-hmm. but I think even more than that, it's it's less that it's a woman because cl- clearly Murphy Brown is a certain level where she's not treated like most women. Mm-mm. Um, yes. He's not calling her little girl. He's not doing that kind of thing. But what is happening is that he is looking at her as a soft, naive liberal. Yes. Although, yeah, that's true. And that's what really gets to me. And what I think is interesting is that when she does walk away, she knows it, too. It's it's a stronger power move because yeah. she's dismissed him. And also, it's not an interview to her. No. It's no longer an interview, so she should just let him talk. And she has no interest in... Just like, yeah. just like with Jake. Yep. When she was like, I'm not going to hand over uh, 20 minutes of airtime no. to get on a soapbox. And that's the thing is this guy is. Yeah. And as we know, this is not a common thing for her to do. But I, I do find it, the power dynamic of it very fascinating when he gets tongue-tied. Because, and I have to say, I actually, I kind of feel bad for him when she starts doing that. Because while he, you know, he has the strength of his convictions, I don't agree with them, but he has them. As far as he's concerned, he does genuinely appear to be wanting to get his point understood and across. Sure, he believes and, in it. And when they say he's drowning, like he is, he's gobsmacked because this part, like she walks away and he's like, oh, but we still have time to talk. Like he's still trying to yeah. talk about it. He just doesn't understand that he won't let her get a word in edgewise and he's being a, a D-bag about it. <laughs> and Miles is freaking out and pushes yeah. her back on stage where she takes a newspaper oh. and lets him talk while she reads the newspaper. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is, oh, here's Dan Quayle in the driving range. And they said he wouldn't have anything to do. Ding! Uh, she checks the weather. She rips out coupons and uh, just lets him completely uh, flounder and drown there on television. Gotta love how we're still talking about politicians on a golf course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love when she goes, America, Colonel Fitzpatrick. Although, wait, oh, we didn't talk about the gif. Oh, the gift. The gift. The gift. The gift. So the gift that is on in the internet is, he says that, that, that Murphy is putting words in his mouth. And she goes, I couldn't possibly put words in your mouth. Your foot is taking too much room. Oh, it's so good. I'm using that insult forever. But it's funny when people try to use that gift when it's not really appropriate because it's the only one that we have. I know. It's not right. Yeah. I just love a chance with, ooh, coupons. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to after Murphy rips out coupons. We are in the FYI offices and... Miles has not come to terms with what she did. <laughs> he's upset. I, he's very upset. I'm very it's, proud of him in this scene. I, it's great. He's very. He's great in this episode. Mm, this is really such good. a good moment for Miles. The he really them, steps yeah. up as his job, um, as we'll talk about. He's saying it's totally unacceptable. You lost it on the air, Murphy. Miles says people expect the truth. Not to announce chicken breasts are on sale at Food World. And she says 
it's a darn good price, Miles. We're talking boneless. And then he drops the bomb that four upcoming guests have canceled. That's a big deal. Yeah. And the point he makes, we do interviews here. We don't ask guests if they know the crossword answer. She goes, for tundra. <laughs> What's an eight-letter word for tundra? And I love that she goes, no guts, no glory. Like, I love that the whole dynamic is he is pissed and mm-hmm. she's like, this is no big deal. Like, this is fine. Let's go have a drink, Miles. Come on. No big deal. Like, she's completely yeah. dim- dismissing him. And, well, and that's the thing. And, th- and that's what I appreciate is that Murphy learns a lesson that you can't dismiss everyone. He's still her boss. He's still her boss. And also, it is disrespectful, regardless of if you thought you were right in this scenario, by by dismissing the colonel, by dismissing Miles, Miles, you're showing disrespect and you're showing that you don't think that what they're saying is worth your time. And he's saying, this is not okay. I am your boss. I am saying that this is unacceptable. This is not what mm-hmm. your job is. And she says, get over it. Because that's what she's used to getting. Exactly. She She's right. Mm-hmm. She runs everything. Mm-hmm. This has been her life. She's a star. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's giving her valid reasons. Four people really canceled is. already. Yeah. I'm so proud of him. And what I love is a gym comes through oh. and he sees him and goes, having a powwow? Don't mind me. <laughs> just takes off again. <laughs> and he's trying to get into the elevator and they see him. Corky's here. Corky's here. No, we're not there yet. Oh, no, sorry, wait, sorry. No, it's my favorite. Okay. Um, because he's trying to get to the elevator and then he gets trapped by the two of them. And she says to him to tell Miles that he's overreacting. And he's like, this is between you two. And he's so uncomfortable. And Miles is saying that she's supposed to ask the questions in a dignified manner. Jim, she was unprofessional. Am I right? I love that he says, am I right? Which seems so modern to my ears. I actually went back and double checked it. Um, because he says it that quick, modern way as opposed to, am I right? And Murphy says he thinks it's neat his office chair swivels and I'm unprofessional. And I wrote, I was like, the elevator takes so long. Oh, and then Miles makes a really good point that her stunt cut the segment short and left her colleagues to fill the air. Yeah, that's also a very valid point. That's an incredibly valid point. It's you are being a showboat and you're putting everyone else on the line. And this has nothing to do with women being bossy or anything like that. It's a, you're supposed to be a professional. They had to then fill time because you made your statement and you didn't fill your own time. Mm-hmm. Then he is asking Jim, is, am I am I not right about this? And right then, Corky comes around the corner and Jim, and basically I just imagine in all caps, is like, hey, look, who's here? It's Corky. Corky's here. Hi, Corky. <laughs> this is a, what will come a staple. Is yes. Jim is uncomfortable. Or Look, it's a person. But And in general, they do this a lot, but Jim, I feel, mm-hmm. does it the most, where it's like this awkward thing, and then, oh, look who's here. Hey, let's do this. Oh, he just yeah. panics. Or I he always, just panics. I love it. I always think of when they're talking about her relationship with Jerry Gold, and, mm-hmm. and Murphy comes up, and he's like, oh, there's Murphy making those shoes that make no noise. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I just love his panic, because he's so put together, and it's just, it's the same thing when, um, when Annabelle invaded his space, as when she was playing... Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, Maggie the Cat, mm-hmm. when she got all up in his space and he's just, <gasps> his his great composure yeah, is being fun. compromised. His uncomfortability in this episode is classic. It's so good. Um, so Corky says, hi. And he goes, shall we go? And he just gets into the elevator and they go, it's going up, Jim. I know. And the door is closed because he's just trying to get away from them. I also love that in this conversation between the two of them that Miles says that she's ruined her credibility. Yes. Which is a really big deal. That's the point. Yeah. And that's the point he's trying to get across to her is it's not about whether or not you you upset me or you didn't or you upset the the guest. Like yeah. you can upset the guest if you're doing your job, but you weren't doing your job. But your credibility is really all you have here on yes. this show if you think about it if you pare mm-hmm. it down and then her answer is you know oh well I, you're telling this to a network news star you wear yeah. a retainer at night yes it, it's always about showing his age and bringing him down a notch and she's bigger than him so frank arrives and he's like who's going to phil's and then you hear a ding and the elevator opens back up and it's just jim standing like nothing's happening like going down <laughs> she gets on the elevator with frank and miles like i still have something to say and she says, we can discuss it at Phil's over onion rings. And he says, no, I want to talk about it privately. And she's like, no. And, you know, she's trying to act like, oh, you're just taking forever. It's so casual. It's just, so casual. But, like, just say not, it. It's so obvious that she does not take this seriously She doesn't all. take him or the situation seriously. And it's seriously. all in her delivery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very dismissive. So he says, okay, you're suspended. Elevator doors close. The elevator doors open back up. She comes back out. <laughs> and Frank is holding the elevator door. And he is dying. Ugh, watching the two them. of them are like the kids in the back of the classroom. Oh, it's, it's they're <laughs> such jerks. And she's trying to be like, okay, no, what are you really talking about? 
And he draws the line in the sand, and you just... <laughs> but it's great that she's making fun of it. She's like, what, no more personal calls? I can't take yeah, my like, coffee uh-oh. break until yeah, my work is done. Yeah, she's doing stand-up. Yeah, do I have to like, sit in the cloakroom? She's like, oh, no. She's like, mocking Al. him. She's doing like that, oh, Al, my wrist. Yeah. Oh, it hurts. And she she looks like she's doing stand-up for Frank yeah. about this, and he's losing his mind in the background, which is one of my favorite. Whenever they're, the gang is doing stuff in the background in character, That's in great. reaction to what's happening, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. But long story short, he's serious. And we find out how serious he is. Well, it's great that he <laughs> then he gets in the elevator and it closes and yeah. the news are there. And I wrote, Miles sets her straight, dot, 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 like a boss. Like a boss. Oh, uh, yeah. So then we cut to Murphy's office and she's in blue. <laughs> what a shocker. We power love blue. Power blue. I thought it was power red, but it's all about power blue no, this hers, season. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting about this scene to me is, mm-hmm. so Mur- first of all, Murphy is taking all of the crap out of her office mm-hmm. to make it look all pristine. Yeah, it's so simple. So simple. All of a sudden. And then moving her Emmy in a very special I'm place. Front and center. Yes. But the way that Candace takes this scene mm-hmm. with Miles, I feel like would have been different if it was later on in the series. Yes. She's very serious, mm-hmm. which is a, a choice that I like. Mm-hmm. But knowing what Candace does with Burphy later, yeah. I feel like in a later season, she would have been shoving it in Miles' face. Oh, yeah. As opposed to him coming in and saying, oh, I see you called a meeting with the uh, vice president mm-hmm. of news. I'm not wearing a, you know, a dark suit. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I'm sorry about that, Miles. And she's just being very super professional. Yes. Maybe she's prepping for Jean. And I wonder if it's over time she gets comfortable enough after this That's episode. That's it, too, with, to, with Miles. Yeah, yeah. to then... Because this is the first time they're going toe-to-toe like this. Yeah, and at the end, she does say she's not trying to get back at him. Exactly. There's a different thing behind it. But mm-hmm. I just feel like, oh, I feel like in, if this was season three, mm-hmm. she would have played it differently. I think my headcanon is pretty positive that it's because this that stuff can't happen without this episode happening first. Yeah. Uh, Miles puts his hands all over Murphy's Emmy after she cleans it, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. Uh, she's putting everything out. And, and Miles is saying, you know, sh- she may have the upper hand, but he has a different boss, you know, employee relationship with, with Gene Kinsella. <laughs> well, he does. Yes. They're, they're, they're very, very close. <laughs> and, you know, this is not, not going to work out the way she thinks she does. And he comes in and calls her Brownie, which is a nickname we've never heard anyone call her before. They hug, and he calls Miles Silverberg, and he calls him Mr. Kinsella. Yep. And he kind of what like... What a close relationship. He becomes sort of tiny and small like a child. Oh, he's so little. Also, I noticed that Miles is wearing his Harvard tie. Yeah, he is. And Which I had, he brings up multiple times. Yeah, and I thought... Ooh, At what Harvard. A, what a great detail. Yeah. Because I went, wait, is that a Harvard tie? And oh, I yeah. looked it up just to be sure. And I thought, that's such a great little detail. I did the same thing. I didn't look it up because I, you are better than me. But I, I saw it. I was like, that must be the Harvard tie. And then he says Harvard like two or three times. Yeah, yeah. In the scene, I was like, oh, it's a Harvard tie. Yeah. So apparently, Murphy is the godmother <laughs> to Jean Kinsella's kids. You know. Because you know. She asks about the soccer game. She knows all these little familiar details about his family. Gene yeah. um, uh, is like, oh, you haven't come home for dinner recently. Oh, she's going to call his wife and, you know, make make appointment for them to have dinner. It's such, <laughs> it's so, like, obvious that Miles is kind of screwed. Oh, he's so screwed. Yeah. So I, I very quickly want to talk about Gene Kinsella's three-piece suit because I feel mm. it's very of his age. I love a three-piece suit. Now, three-piece suits are very in right now. Yes. But back at this because point... Because they're considered retro. Yes. And I love a three-piece suit because I love the way a sort of waistcoat, as the British say. Oh, yes, a waistcoat. Um, the vest hugs very nicely. Mm-hmm. But when I saw him in it, I thought, oh, this is so 1970s. Yeah, this is of a time. Yeah. Like watching Lou Grant. Oh, yes. Yeah, right? Yes. So I thought that was interesting. That I'm like, that he's in, that's a very specific choice for a man of his age, mm-hmm. and it puts him in a certain time period. Yeah, it yeah. does. It, mm-hmm. it shows, it's much like, like Jim's style. Yes. Of the, of the classic mm-hmm. reporter, but businessman. This, like, but he, even, has, he has the classic executive. Yeah, but Jim even, I feel like I would, is even has a 40s thing with the hat going on, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, but this to me. Jim was retro in his time. Yes, right? Gene is of his time. Of his time, yes. So they sit down, and there's no seat for Miles. And Murphy, very professional, goes, oh, Miles, there's a seat for you behind the door. And it's like a little pullout. It's a tiny little stool. Which means because he's so short that he's now shorter than everybody. Or a little kid at the desk. Oh, yeah. He's a little... This whole thing is a huge power move. Oh, my God, it really is. And what's great, though, is there he still holds his own miles. He does. Everything that Murphy says, he brings up very valid reasons. 
you know, Gina's concerned about ratings and publicity. Miles says, well, you know, the, the press is already on this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's concerned about benching their star reporter. He's concerned about them not looking foolish. Like every answer, Miles just is there in a super professional mm-hmm. way. And then, you know, Miles says, you know, when you hired me, you know, you wanted me to make the hard decisions. You said that I had the right to do that, you know, and, and pretty much saying, you know, this is what you told me my job was, and I'm just doing my job. I love that he requests to stand so we can make these these points, yes, which is very smart. Because he's so small now. He's so tiny. Yeah, and then one of my favorite things is, <clears throat> so Murphy says in response, Gene, when you hired me 16 years ago, when Miles was nine, that wouldn't have been an issue. Now, this is a great line. Uh-huh. But unfortunately now, we're going to have a segment called Welcome to Retcon Theater. Yes. Yes. We're your hosts, Jesse and Lauren. And we love this stuff. We do. Now, Aaron Sorkin, one of our favorite writers as well as many of the writers on the show, said that writing a television show is like writing in a tunnel. Mm -hmm. You can't see the light at the end. Yes. And particularly, a lot of these few retcons are in season one. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't, but even, again, like Aaron said, you're writing a show, you can't, you don't necessarily see where it's going. Yes. There is bound to be Especially mistakes. Especially with detail work. And when you're writing so much, you may not, you know, there is someone usually in charge of a Bible, mm-hmm. but small little things you may not realize. But again, yeah. the show is just being felt out. So we can, we would assume at the point in this episode that Murphy is saying that FYI has been on the air for 16 years. Yes. But we find out at the end of the season that it has been on the air since 1977. Mm-hmm. So that's not 16 years. But she was hired. Yes. So you could say, now when Murphy comes to audition, she is a foreign correspondent. Yes. I don't believe they say who she works for necessarily at the time. So I think you can sort of stretch this and say, Jean hired her as a freelance foreign correspondent? Yeah, I can absolutely see her. I mean, even as a, there are so many different roles, especially a, a freelance correspondent can do so much and come and go yeah. without being one of the gang that that makes and way not more being sense on a show yeah exactly i think we can talk about it more when we get to the summer of 77 yes because yes. uh, i haven't seen it in a while i know that that episode is a big deal about how she looks and how she used mm-hmm. to be camera ready but you know who knows maybe they thought a cor- foreign correspondent was going to be you know rough and tumble i think we should bring this back when we get to that episode but check that, our timelines that line makes me giggle yeah <laughs> like, and well not for maybe FYI. Yeah. The biggest one will come out later at Phil's. Yes. So, so we'll have another segment of Retcon Theater. <laughs> Retcon Theater. Uh, but again, um, writing a TV series is long hours, and we, yeah. you know, it, it's okay. And also, it wasn't binge culture at the time. Yes. Where you have people like us who are just watching it over and over again and keeping track of these details. But we're lucky <laughs> that this isn't the Golden Girls because yeah. the Golden Girls literally brings back the same actors playing yeah. different characters, constantly, which you only notice when you binge it. Yep. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It took me a while to finally just be like, okay, I have to be okay with this. Pretty much, you think Gene's gonna side with Murphy, and he goes, "No, Miles is right. Mm-hmm. Bye, Brownie." We'll see you soon. The kids love the dresses. I love this moment with him because he, Miles makes this great comment about like, I can't do this job if I have to ask permission. Oh yeah. I was good. promised top yeah. brass support. And I just love he's like, I can't do this if I have to ask you. And that's such an adult moment in him that's so confident and sure and he's grounded and, and I love it. That's a boss employee relationship. You can't have, if she can always go over his head, then, then she then doesn't work for him. No, yeah, he has no leverage. Mm-hmm. And what I like is what what the actor does, the actor who plays Gene Kinsella, um, he does this thing where he gets suddenly very serious and he puts his head on his fingers. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he makes me think of is the actor Charles Dance. He has this moment where oh. he gets suddenly very still and just looks down. It's this older man with all this power. Because he was getting more and more serious as it was going. And all of a sudden I'm just, I mean, the most recent Charles Dance is probably Tywin Lannister, but he's been much, much more and look him up. But... I just saw this moment of this very, cal- you suddenly saw the calculating executive mm-hmm. who is where he is for a reason. And then all of a sudden he's just super jolly. He's like, oh, I'm with Miles. And just <laughs> bops off. And this is like jolly Santa way <laughs> on the way. Yeah. Out. And Alan Oppenheimer, who plays Gene Kinsella, does become recurring. Mm-hmm. And he's done tons of things. But a lot of us probably didn't even realize is that he's the voice of many, many cartoons yes. we were growing up. Funny enough, I never realized he was the vice president. I thought he was the president of the news division. I know. I think I thought he was the top brass. Yeah, I think it's because this is the only time they mention his actual title. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it. Because he is 
the highest most person we, we have, that they we have encounter. contact with yeah which makes sense i mean the president wouldn't be just coming down to the show that often exactly yeah he's more of the back and forth alan oppenheimer is pretty cool he is pretty cool the actor who plays him um i mostly care about the fact that he was in both star trek the next generation and star trek deep space nine he was a klingon in next generation and then uh captain keo in Deep Space Nine, um, which if you watch them like I do, you actually know what that means. Uh, but he's been around forever. Mm. He's in Gilmore Girls too. You have to. He was in Andy Griffith Show. He's a Mama's Family, Happy Days, mm-hmm. Hogan's Heroes, Saint, um, I Dream of Jeannie, Saint Elsewhere. Uh, he was in eleven episodes of Murphy Brown as Gene Kinsella. Yeah, he's to me is one of the big recurrings that like I remember. Yeah, and because he's a notable person, yeah. like he has a huge effect on them. Um, he would, was also in the seven, Six Million Dollar Man. I was sad when he when Gene gets replaced, which in the whole episode, yeah. Gene is very mad about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, I'm just like, oh, oh we got Gene. a new person. But Gene. But yeah, Gene. He, he's one of those actors that in the 70s and 80s was a commonly recurring actor yeah. on TV shows. Um, it's he's a has a very impressive resume. So please keep an eye out for um, fun. Fun fact. He was voices in The NeverEnding Story. For Rockbiter, Falcor, and Gamork. Yeah, does a lot of voiceover work. I love him. Um, speaking of, while we're on the actors, if you don't yes. mind, I would like to talk about William Sadler. Please who do. I skipped over earlier. Uh, he plays Colonel Fitzpatrick, and while it's a small role, uh, William Sadler is an incredible actor. You've seen him in everything. Everything. He is. You'll know him by his very intimidating face. <laughs> He's. Uh, he has a very naturally kind of stern, strong face yes, and eye contact very good casting here oh he's great you believe him as uh, he's played a military man there many many times mm-hmm. in his career i love him in deep space nine he has a a three-part uh, arc as sloan that i recommend you watching because he's incredible uh most people i'm trying to figure out what most people probably know him from i knew him from roswell that's what i was thinking i think he's done so much it's hard to pinpoint hard. one thing that everyone knows him from he's just one of those faces that you know i feel he also gets mistaken for a lot of people probably um yeah. but i knew him probably first from roswell uh he was also he was in the uh the broadway production of neil simon's biloxi blues and yes then, yeah yes which makes sense he's probably best remembered for die hard 2 bill and ted's bogus adventure and Shawshank Redemption. See, those last two are the ones that I know him from. Yeah. And at first, of course, because of all the makeup in Bill and Ted, yes. it's hard to know it's him. He's so funny in that movie. But his voice, Matt, if you yeah. if you watch it knowing it's him, you hear it. But the eyes and the he smile. Has, he has those really piercing yeah. eyes. He plays um, the Grim Reaper, if yes. people don't realize. <laughs> it's so funny. He's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but also hilarious. Fun fact, I had no idea that he is a, a modest 5'7". Really? The film that I've seen of him, I, I assumed he had a, a taller stature. That's interesting because I was recently writing a small thing on Eve Arden. Mm. And I was rock- known for her height. I thought, oh, I should put in parentheses how tall she was. And she was only 5'7". Yeah. How is Eve Arden not 6'2"? I mean, I guess, though, to be fair, then that's really tall for a woman. It was like that was like it was like five three. So you're always like the petite one next to someone. Her height seemed to be her thing. Mm-hmm. I don't, one of her things. William Sadler, most recently probably known, he's the president Matthew Ellis in Iron Man three, Agents of mm-hmm. Shield. There you go. And all that. So that's probably what people most know him for. Right. So um, very quickly, I wanted to talk about a little bit of the history or historyette anchors being suspended. Yes. Because I thought this is interesting. Let me look this up. It's like we're having an intermission. Yes. In the episode. The funniest thing to me was, after I I waded through pages and pages of people fired or suspended for sexual harassment, Mm. which was a lot, or saying something racist on the air. Wee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There were certain categories. So we obviously have sort of, you know, the bigger things more recently. Like in 2004, Dan Rather being fired Mm -hmm. uh, based on uh, content. Brian Williams being fired in 2015, although being suspended first and then being fired, because everything said that he was just fired. I thought, no, I remember him being suspended for at least six months because I I was like waiting for him to come back. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he obviously went to MSNBC for lying about something, not even on the air, but in an interview. Yes. So that's completely different. Lying about his experience. Yes, that he was fired on in a helicopter when he was not. Then you have a whole, you know, litany of people, mostly local news, who are suspended for swearing on air. Yes. Including hot mics, but most of the time not. And then I feel like lately there's a new category of people who say something bad on Twitter who get suspended. Yes. 
So it was hard to find something that was very similar to what happened to Murphy. Yes, because it was her actual conduct. On air. On air with a guest. But something interesting that I thought I would share that I found, Mm -hmm. uh, because it is about women, about African-American women particularly, some women in the 70s and early 80s who were suspended or fired for not straightening their hair. That's so sick. It's really sick. So, for example, you have uh, Melba Tol... hope I say her name right. Melba Tolliver, uh, who disobeyed WABC-TV news director who ordered her to straighten her hair when she was wearing an afro. Mm. She was covering the 1971 White House Rose Garden wedding of Trisha Nixon. Whoa. She was suspended from all on-camera work. But then they finally relented because there was an article about it in the New York Post. Yeah, bad publicity. Yeah. Then in 1981, Dorothy Reed was suspended from local ABC in San Francisco for wearing her hair in cornrows. But with the support of the NAACP, she filed a grievance and won the return of her job. Mm. But then her contract was not renewed. So this, I had not heard of this, but then when I read it, it it shouldn't have surprised me. I mean, unfortunately, we as as white women have not had to face those kinds of prejudice Mm -hmm. uh, in, in those terms. And it just, it makes me fairly sick about how recent they are. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard stories recently as well. Not in this detail, Mm -hmm. but that's just acting and so forth. Horrible. And then we have another category of people who are caught on camera, not doing their job, saying Mm -hmm. terrible things. There was a ESPN reporter, Britt McHenry, was suspended for being caught on camera screaming some horribly hateful things at a parking lot attendant. Which then brings me to the revival, because Mm -hmm. Murphy has maybe not said some of these hateful things this woman said, but Mm -hmm. gotten upset with people and had a big, huge monologue, and someone could have a cell phone. Yes. Or how many times... That's one of the first things I thought of, is Murphy starts ranting, it's a viral video. The first thing I thought of was how many times did she get suspended because of things she said on Twitter. Yes, yes. Like this is the world where Murphy could have Twitter. Murphy can get caught ranting at someone in a you know in a line or something like that. Like, I am concerned for Murphy's public image. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it's going to be interesting. But back to the story, Jesse. So, we cut to Murphy leaving with her box of belongings. Frank is meeting her on her way to the elevator. And he says, "Oh, Murph," telling her the next couple of weeks won't be the same. Oh, she'll have that empty parking spot. It'll just be a reminder. And maybe I'll ease the pain if I park there. Yeah, I think I will. And I think it was our our conversation with Norm Mm -hmm. where it was mentioned that, or or some, oh, I don't remember who it was with. Oh, my goodness. That um, this was sort of a take on the fact that Candace Bergen had sort of a prime parking space as well. Oh, yeah, who did say that? Yeah, I forget. We're the worst. We're the worst. Someone said that. We don't remember. Thank you, writing angel who told us that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and then she says it'll give her it'll give her time to think and about you know Miles' office, his new car, his pants, all flammable. Oh Murphy! And Frank's like, oh Murphy! And she's like, no, no, better. And he goes, not his house. And she reminds him of a game against the Eagles, where everyone knew Sonny uh, Jurgensen was Jurgensen. Jurgensen. You're asking me about the football. I'm so sorry. Everyone knew that Sonny Jurgensen was hurt, but he walked out of there, and so will she. And then she's like, oh, and also, can you call Office Supply? I accidentally dropped my typewriter on the floor six times. She's a little embarrassed about that. Yeah. And then we have Jim come in with a chin-up slugger. And he knows she's going to weather the storm. It was a tough call. He sees both sides. And that, in a nutshell, is what makes this world so damn interesting. (laughs) I hate goodbyes. And then he just walks away. (laughs) Just my favorite. Jim just avoiding emotions. And she she says, no, it's going to be great. She's been especially tense lately. And when was the last time I had two weeks to myself? This will be good. And Corky is, you know, um, very impressed that she can look at this so positively. If it was me, I'd go to the gym and work off some of those pounds so I won't be so embarrassed come swimsuit season. I hate all of the... I mean, I, I get it's because the way the Corky sees her is sort of this older, different you know, yes. woman. But anytime they make jokes about Candace Bergen being fat, I'm like, really? I mean, it's, she's not. It's how how such can Corky an- look at her and think that she... Oh, anyway, sorry. It's a, yeah, I get the, I get what the joke is. I get it too. But again, I've watched so many sitcoms in the world with hot, with hot, tiny people talking about how they're overweight. And I'm just like, you can shut up. Um, So I kind of just write that off because I've seen it far too often. She thanks her for the advice. And then Corky says, as the senior woman around here, she has to make it her business to ensure FYI maintains the same high standards while she's gone. And then she, her first act as senior woman is to walk by one of the guys working and say, don't wear that tie anymore. She's trying. She's trying. 
Francis, take me with you, Murph. And mm. as they're nearing the elevator, Miles arrives. Frank takes off. And Miles says, you know, he did what he had to do. It was strictly professional, and he hopes there are no hard feelings. And Murphy is not handling this very well and says, you stink. He says, okay, so some hard feelings. Still friends? And she says, we're just two people who have to work together, and that's it. <laughs> she says what she wants to happen to him. She wants all of his hair to fall out. She wants to get cavities in every tooth. She wants to roll him in picnic food and stake him to an anthill. That's what she wants, Silverberg. It reminded me of what Stephen told us, that Murphy is a bratty child. She's a bratty child, and she does not handle a loss very well. And what, there's a very interesting line from Miles right then, which is, he's, as she leaves to the office, obviously penis envy. And at the end of the show, we have a really great story from the writer Norm uh-huh. about that. And what I love is just, as the, it fades to the next scene, is the office smiling at his obvious denial. Because <laughs> nobody thinks that's what's going on. So we're at Murphy's townhouse. And it is her bedroom, which we've seen now for the first time. And it is a mess. Oh, it's, I, oh, it's my... Murphy, I love you, but that is the most hideous bedroom I've ever seen this in my life. This is what I wrote. The 1980s exploded in Murphy's house. I wrote in so the bedroom. much pink and dot, 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 fluffiness. And flowers. Oh, it's awful. It's, it's very 1987. Oh, it is. Eldon is not very happy. No, he's there, not. Uh, there's, he just can't work like this. There's so much stuff. There's pantyhose on his, his paint thingy. Mm. His uh, smoothing stick? Smoothing stick, thingy. Oh, no, he's looking for a smoothing stick. Yeah. He's crawling on the ground, but but Murphy needs quiet because she's, she's writing her memoirs, <laughs> which she's been wanting to do forever. I wrote, uh, her hair is terrifying. A little less time writing and a little less more time shaving those legs. Oh, God, the <laughs> ongoing leg-shaving jokes kill me. I love them. And Murphy's just obsessed with, like, changing the words and, like, making it perfect. And, and then she says that she she's going to help Eldon wallpaper. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. And it gets to the point where she's like, I need to wallpaper very, very much, Eldon. And he, well, first he wants her to stir the, the glue, yes. right? She feels yep. like that's something that, that they let a child do. Exactly. It requires technique. Yes, exactly. And Eldon goes, I got to get another gig. Elvie <laughs> says... The reason he doesn't want her, she says, I don't want a token job. Yes. I want to smooth. And he says, yeah, you're going to do that. And then you're going to have to, then you're going to be left with those little bl- bubbles that you flatten with your fingernail, which was so visceral to yeah. me. And I was immediately like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then when he says that she can do it, she has this satisfying smile. <laughs> um, and then uh, Elton El- leaves and... <laughs> she throws a tantrum. She's being a child. She does. She throws herself on the bed and 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 just like rails her legs up and and has no idea that Frank and Jim have showed up. And something that Corby told us, uh-huh. um, I feel like I need to add it here, is apparently when Candace jumped on the bed, she semi-impaled herself with a pencil? Yes, what she was working with. And yeah. we, we tried to ask Corby, like, like, what do you mean impaled? Like, Was like, it still stuck there? Was there blood? Like, that sounds really painful. Just she's, a poke? She's like, no, like, like, she was fine, but she didn't tell us about it until after the scene was over. And and so I'm thinking it just sort of stabbed her a little bit. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping that's all. And she just soldiered. Sh- she threw herself and she had just been working. Soldiered through is what I was she trying to say. She soldiered through. Not shouldered through. She, I mean, you can shoulder through things. Yeah. Like so, um, I, I applaud Candace Bergen with just like, keep going with the scene. Yeah. Yeah, keep going. Do it, make it happen. What also is funny is this mention of the young and the restless. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but it's like the not the last time that we'll hear. I mean, Young and the Restless is a soap opera that's on mm-hmm. CBS, which mm-hmm. I used to watch with my mom in kindergarten. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. So I always find that funny. But <laughs> so before we talk about this scene, I, I think we need to talk about Jim. Oh, Jim. So talk about an actor with an objective and a uh, obstacle. All he had to do was not look at her legs. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's about her legs. No, no, I, I'm, I'm simplifying okay. it. The idea is a gentleman is in a room with mm-hmm. a woman not wearing a robe. Yes, a woman who is scantily clad and in a casual, familiar way. Jim's scantily clad because she's wearing a t-shirt and no, but pajamas. That's, that's his truth. Yes. In fact, at one point she bends over and he turns around and his face is like looking at her ass and he just completely... He can't take it. But because of your love of Jim, I'm going to let you explain it. All right. So Jim, upon seeing the room, you can tell, knows that he's crossed a threshold he did he should mm, not yes, have. Yes. And and like we said, for, for Murphy, for Frank, for a modern person, it, it, she's not scantily clad. She's very casual, and you no, know, she hasn't shaved her legs in a while, but that's her prerogative. She starts to get undressed, and Frank is just standing there. Yeah, Frank doesn't care because they so, have no problem. Yeah. But Jim does this thing where he works his way around the bed, and then he's you see this moment in his eyes where he realizes he's 
really near her in this state as well. So he suddenly just turns his back to her and has a full conversation as he's examining a teacup. He like picks it up and looks underneath yeah. it. And that like it at one point he tries oh. to sort of sit, but then realizes, but then oh, realizes he can't. I can't sit on the bed. And it is He says we're not staying long. It's such a great piece of comic acting that I had not noticed before because it's sort of happening in the background of yes. the scene. And it's, and it's so gorgeous. Precious. He's so uncomfortable. Please just go back if you haven't noticed it and pay attention, guys, to him only in the scene. Just ignore Frank and Murphy for a second. Yep. And it is such a beautiful, subtle piece of comedic acting. Well, I wrote Charles K. looking delicately at a mug. <laughs> Because he's just, he's holding it so nicely, like the way that, you know, uh, uh, it should be held. And the moment that Frank says, leg hair so long you could comb it, he looks like he's going to die. And it's all, he's not the focus of this moment. Don't you have a robe? Don't you have a robe? It's... Oh, because she says, Jim, I made pudding. It's like, a, like, look what's happened to me. Don't you have a robe? He, he's always, like, stopping the conversation to, to, for some sort of, you know, cover her up. Or, or, or he has this whole long thing and he goes, let's continue this in the kitchen. Yes, let's move this way. Let's get out of your bedroom. <laughs> like, he's so uncomfortable. I know. He's such a man of his time. I oh, him. I love it. So Murphy admits that she's bored. She made pudding. She doesn't know what to do with herself. I love that you can see an open box of cereal kind of in the background. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just like she's, it's like she's been held up in this room for three days. Yes. Oh, yes. And she can't wait to get back and work on her bank story. Except, oh, everyone's like, oh, no. Well, well, what? Did, you know, Miles, you know, kill it? They they gave it to Corky. (laughs) And Murphy's like, how is she going to compare the attitudes of deficit spending in Japan with those of traditional powers of the Western world? So Jim says... She took a Toyota for a test drive and rented Tea House of the August Moon. And she just goes, oh, God. Yes. And Jim just hates to see her like this. You know, they came to sort of, you know, you know pepper up. Let's go to the kitchen. And uh, he says you know, something to the effect of, you know, just because Miles won. Thinks he won. Thinks he won. Which he thinks is not anything, you know, incendiary. No. But Frank sees what it does. He goes, oh, signs of life. And he encourages the hell out of that. Oh, God, yeah. yes. He's like running after her, jumping. He thinks he got you. He's he just says, goading her. He says, taking it lying down, beaten, whipped, dead in the water, tail between your legs, D-O-A, R-I-P. Oh, it's such a great scene. And he's like, are you getting dressed now? And she goes, Frank, go get my razor. And then Jim, Jim sees that she's, get, she's getting, like, her, taking her clothes off. And Jim is just like, I must get out of here now. He says, excuse me. And I wrote minces out. He's just like, <laughs> And um, during this section, Murphy uses some Yiddish. Yes. Yutz. Which is a foolish or useless person. She yeah. feels like she's been a Yutz. Not anymore. No, no. She's about to get busy. Mm-hmm. So speaking of... We uh, find ourselves in Phil's with a big loud close the door as she enters. Yes, I'm wrong. It was back. (laughs) But if I can add something for some reason I didn't notice Hmm. until now is so we have the front which says since 1919 Mm -hmm. Phil's. And I went, oh, my God, in the revival, we're going to be at Phil's 100th bar, 100th anniversary. Yeah, we are. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't dawn on me until I saw that. I didn't hit, until you said the date right now, all of a sudden it hit me and I just got really excited. I'm very excited. So she's there for the subway, the meatball sub she ordered. Uh, and he says he shoved in an extra meatball for her. She kisses Phil on the head. And Phil goes, you kissed me when you landed on the moon. And when John Dean testified, not for a meatball sub, get back to work. You're losing your edge. Hurry. Welcome again to Retcon Theater. Dun, dun, dun. I'm your host, Lauren, and this is Jesse. Hi. So we find out, and again, there's some subtle, this doesn't have to be a huge thing, but it, in the summer of 77, we mm-hmm. get the impression that Phil and Murphy do not know each other. Yeah, we do. So all of these things that Phil has mentioned happened before in 1977. Uh-huh. So dun, dun, dun. we could say that Murphy has been in the bar before, but she and Phil... did not become friendly she was just someone who had been there and then after the fact Phil now that he knows her well goes oh I remember when you would come in occasionally and you were just some person who came into the bar kiss me on the forehead yes (laughs) so so again a lot of these retcons can be explained but she didn't know each other they didn't know each other you know Murphy drinks she does a lot of stuff and hey we say this because we enjoy being detail obsessed people not that we are slamming the show in its first season for coming up with some stuff that then it gets to elaborate no, on no, later. No, no, it's interesting. It's fun. Yeah. So, and again, this show, 
very rarely has these. It's they're so rare. So, they're so good at this stuff. Yes. And all of it, honestly, can kind of be easily explained. Exactly. That's what, that's really easy. Like we just did. Yeah. We're just like, oh, well, very maybe easily it's, this yeah, it's probably this. Yeah. So I love she's there and, you know, Corky sees her and it, Corky talks to her like she's talking to an invalid. I like, know. you look so good. She's so Isn't supportive. it good to see Murphy? She's doing her best. And she said she was, you know, doing her daily errands and then snagged a ma- major interview in the mix of it. Marlon Brando. Which at that time was a big Huge deal. Get. He did not give interviews. No. So she said, and they're like, how did you do that? And she said, oh, we attended a UN conference together, played poker when it got boring. Uh, she won his island yes, and had, had no island. use for that. So she traded it for a favor. And he's in town this week. And Corky says, oh, it's rotten timing. You're on suspension. I Murphy goes, I know. And Corky does this great, oh. And her head goes to like each side as she says them. It's fantastic. The door opens again. Close the door. It's Miles. And so he shouts back at everyone. It's closed. It's closed. Which I, I love seeing somebody yell back at them. Mm-hmm. And, Murf- and Murphy and Miles are, well, look who's here. Hi, Miles. Murphy. And you hear a Western whistle. That's Yeah, that's it, really great. That's so out of character at this point that it made me really happy. <laughs> everyone just accepts. Yeah. <laughs> so she kind of lays down the law a little bit. And says, you know, she'll be in her office getting some stuff in case anyone needs to find her. Mm-hmm. And she looks great. Oh, she looks so... She's so confident, and that outfit's amazing, and she's just walking. She knows she has the ace. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, I'll be there in case anyone needs to find me. And as he, she's on her way out, he screams, close the door. <laughs> and he says, I don't, I don't have to agree to that interview. And Phil's there for advice, and he says... He's like, may I give you some advice? And I was like, oh, yeah, Phil, from you, absolutely. He says, just pull down your pants and sit on the griddle. It'll be a lot less painful. And Miles is sort of left kind of pondering that. Knowing that he's losing. (laughs) So we cut to Murphy's office. She's sitting there eating the meatball sub, probably just waiting for Miles. Apparently took him 20 minutes to really think about it. Good on him. Make her wait. He figured that she would get back at him in some way, but he figured it'd be some sort of prank, like leaves in his car. She's like, I guess you haven't checked your... Car, car yet um, but he's convinced that she's just doing this to, to get him and, and Murphy is very very serious you know she promises that she's try- not trying to make Miles look bad yeah and she gives this really amazing speech this is again another example we're getting into the last mm-hmm. act of the show and we have a serious moment in this comedy that pays off because of everything that's been layered in yeah and I, I really can't read the whole thing here but so he leads her in with asking why'd you have to do this to me why'd you have to get Brando and she pretty much is honest and raw with him that, that beautiful he needs to understand that that all she really has is her job right she now she only has her job she loves the way that the pencil sharpener sounds hmm. not being there practically killed her she likes the sound of the teletype machine and she missed the office and there's a Big section, small section here, I should say, that that is something that is very resonant to me. And part of it comes from the fact, which I've mentioned before, is in On Another Plane, there is an amazing mm-hmm. montage. It's one of my favorite montages of all time, mm-hmm. Frank and Murphy's life. Yep. And so there are a lot of lines that I heard in this montage before I actually saw the episodes. Because it was... Yes. So this section here, which is, I know I shouldn't need this job as much as I do, but the fact is, and then this is what's in the montage... You're dealing with a person who gave up drinking this year, who gave up smoking this year. Every day is a struggle. And that line is mm. is superimposed over Murphy pouring out alcohol mm-hmm. into a glass. And it is so beautiful. And then something that Murphy admits to Miles in the episode is that she's not as strong as he thinks that she is. Mm. And she doesn't admit that to many people, but she's admitting it to him. And it's such a beautiful scene. And it's such a, a deep sort of, you know, raw moment for Murphy and that she trusts him enough to say that. And it's one of my favorite moments in the series. Can I just say like a little like behind the the podcast app moment? Like, yeah, we just had this moment earlier between the two of us. Did we? Yeah, because I I shared some a oh, vulnerability yeah. with Lauren. You did. And it was a personal insecurity and just needing to share and be so that I could be understood in a discussion and had to be like, you know, it's that isn't easy for me. 
but because I trust and I appreciate you and I feel like you have my best interests at heart, I feel like I can. And that's very interesting that we just came to this moment because that was not intentional. I feel like that happens on this show a lot. Yeah. Our personal lives sort of intersect with the episode we're doing. Dang it, Murphy. Yeah. And then speaking of that, I think that also something that is key to us too is Miles' little sort of monologue that when he was a kid, he used to watch Murphy on TV. And he would think, you know, if there was one person I'd want to work with, it would be you. Mm-hmm. And here I am on FYI and Murphy Brown, produced by Miles Silverberg. Oh. And this is pretty overwhelming stuff. And most of the time I feel like I can't handle it, but sometimes I feel like I'm still that kid. And that sort of got me, you know, because I, I really do believe when it comes to the people that you look up to mm-hmm. from, from a certain age, yep. that you sort of become that age. Yes. When, when you're you, around them. When you're around them, them, at least at the beginning of the relationship. Sure, I think absolutely. that eventually when you become professionals, it, you know, and Miles is, her, is work with her longer and they're friends and it, you don't sort of feel that way. Mm-hmm. And what's great is that the difference between a fan and a professional is Miles never lets that get into his relationship with Murphy. Yes. Through this whole episode, he is a professional. Yes. He is going up against her Mm -hmm. and he's making his point of view known. Yes. This is not right. Yes. You are not professional. You are not doing this. This is what I believe is true and this is how I will do my job. Yes. That is what makes him different. And I like imagining that it's because that's who Murphy taught him to be. Yeah. It's like a full circle thing. That's who the people he respects taught him to be. The people that you look up to Mm -hmm. that a certain age give you a lot of the... um, not skills, but um, I guess attributes that mm-hmm. you take on, whether you know it or not. But you aspire to. You aspire to, mm-hmm. just like Murphy has done for us, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And then what I also love is that he then becomes, a prof- he's, again, still a professional. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is I can do this job without your respect. But he does want it. It would be a lot all more do. to me if I had it. There you go. Ugh. I love it's it. It's such a beautiful scene and this sort of contrast between sort of the old guard and the new guard mm-hmm. and, and, d- and working with your heroes. Mm-hmm. But uh, We talk about that yeah. all the time when we're emailing with, uh, with the creators. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, but I'm show. trying not to say it. <laughs> no, no it's, but we have that a lot. And we're, you know, we're, we have at our core, we're a couple fangirls who are just so passionate about this because it meant so much to us during those formative years. And then we have to remind ourselves, we're like, hey, we're we're doing this and this is our thing and we, we are smart and we are professional as well. And it's having having contact with people who inspire you and who make you want to be your best self mm-hmm. is can be very intimidating. And it's something we talked about uh, with Steve about, you know, that kind of imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. It's it's completely valid and it's it's great to check yourself on that sometimes. Remember that you are just as worthy to be at the table and I love that Miles has that that moment. I forgot about this scene. So did I. Completely. And I it's one of my new favorite scenes. I remember oh, I remembered the Murphy part because of that that section. Yeah. I, I literally had that. Yeah, that I mon- knew those yeah. lines from, but not from the, that montage. I didn't remember this scene. I didn't remember Miles' part of it. Yeah. That it was all oh. about, you know, because when he said that, I was like, oh, that's what we're going through right now. Yeah. And it, it it was just sort of a beautiful thing in addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Particularly, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was great. And it's also great that, that Miles at the end of this is like, hey, you know, can two professionals, you know, still split some onion rings sometime, you know? Mm-hmm. No matter who they are and and where she is in her career and he is, you still want to be friends with the people that you work with. Yes. You still want to be respected by them in all aspects. Mm-hmm. And Especially so, when you work this kind of job that takes up way more than just yeah. a 40-hour work week. You know, this West Wing, the shows that we love, is a lot about people whose jobs are their life, which yes. Murphy says in this scene. And so you, the people at your job become your family because it, you see them more than your family. Well, and it's, as artists, like our, the lines are very blurred for us as far totally. as what we do as a career and what we we do for fun and and our free time i remember talking to people when i was in college and them not understanding how i could be in college at the same time and have less time available i was like i don't think you guys understand like i go to class all day and then i go to rehearsal all night and then mm-hmm. my weekends are rehearsal like whenever i'm not here like my day job i always have to be like guys i don't i fill my week i I don't have a day off because yes, I only work these days, but those other days, that's when I do all the other stuff as mm-hmm. well. And it's, it's something that is, I enjoy seeing it put on screen in a respectful and not just an, Oh, the workaholic who needs to learn how to have a little fun. Like there's, 
there's a balance. There's a spectrum. Yeah, I agree. And I, I love seeing that. I also love that her response to Miles is, I do respect you, Miles, a little bit more than a few days ago. Yeah. Which is just, it's, it's so such, validating. It's such a great little notch in the, you know, building of their relationship. And then Miles, you know, is say, well, okay, great. You're going to do the interview and then you're back on suspension. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. See, we, we just mm-hmm. made some ground here. You know, that's going to put us right back where we started. Mm-hmm. You know, he tries to compromise. Oh, today won't, won't, won't you know, won't be part of your suspension. We won't count today. It's such a nice gesture. So, so she decides that they are going to um, throw darts for it. And then Grant Shod does this thing where he he takes the dart and then sort of mimingly like goes towards the target to be like okay i, I can i can do this it's right right there just showing himself that's okay. all that's all yeah. you have to get to and it's such a great piece of, of physicality and then um they do a great sitcom murphy brown thing where we see them about to do it and then the we go black in the credits, and then it's uh, best out of two or something. Best is two it? out of three. Best two out of three. So obviously Miles has lost. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Murphy's good at darts. I think she practices a lot. Yeah. One, it's in her office. Mm-hmm. Two, it's a bar game. Yes. She's good at it. Yeah. She can do it regardless. So we actually have some really great behind-the-scenes info from Norm Gunsenhauser. If you haven't heard our interview with Norm, please go back and listen. Please do. Really it's so amazing. Much fun. We hope to have him on again. We didn't have as much time with him as we would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but we emailed him to send us some info on this episode since he wrote it with Tom. Yes. Uh, so the first bit is uh, really about Murphy and Miles' relationship, which is obviously a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode. So he says, my strongest memory is coming up with the original idea. It's great to always try and come up with your with firsts for your characters. And this was a no-brainer. What if Murphy was suspended for the first time in her life? By a young Pisher, no less. And how would that change their relationship? Do you want to talk about the word? Yes, yeah, so Pisher is Yiddish. <laughs> Hi, Lauren Milberger with your Yiddish translation. Here for the Jewish contingent. Uh, so uh, Pisher is pretty much, you know, a young person with no experience. Yes. You know, little kids are usually called, oh, a little Pisher. I think that's why I know the context. Yeah. I know it in context, because that's the only way I've ever heard it. Well, the thing about Yiddish is that it's so hard sometimes to actually define it in English. Mm -hmm. So you probably know what it means based on the context anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you the definition, but if you said it, I'd be like, I get exactly what you're calling me. One of my favorite words is aldecocker. Amazing. When my dad tried to explain it to me, he's like, oh, is it in English? So he like told me a story. That's <laughs> to like explain so, it. That's so apt, though. Kind of like yeah. the the Shamil Shamazel thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's something I've learned more and more with my with my Jewish friends. Is so much of single word culture is based on a story. It's cultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he further says, I remember thinking this would be a momentous sea change for both of them. As you know, this was an early season one episode, and I think helped Murphy and Miles's working relationship, which. I 100% agree with. Yeah. He also said that he believes that they are the um, first people to say penis envy or the word penis on television. It stands out, I will say. Yeah. And they actually had to, and Corby backed us up with this. She actually Mm -hmm. was like, had us ask Norm about it particularly. Yeah. That um, they had to really fight the censors to be able to use the word penis. You know, an anatomical word. And that Diane is the one who, you know, really sort of, you know, got got that word, you know, approved by the network. And then I love what he says. He says, nobody fought network fights better than Diane. I love that. And just how it seems tame by today's standards. It does. Yeah. That's why I'm like, it's it's just a body part, guys. I remember the first time I heard bitchin' on TV. Oh, on, yeah. It was on The I Simpsons. I scandalized and I loved it. It was Bart Simpson said yep. bitchin'. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Yeah. Big deal. So that's... That's off-the-job experience. Yeah. So please follow us on social media. We are Murphy Brown Pod on all those platforms that we've talked about prior. Uh, we are also murphybrownpod.com for our website. And our email is murphybrownpod at gmail.com. Yeah, you can leave us a voicemail telling us why you love Murphy Brown so we can maybe put it on the show or send us a little note from your phone mm-hmm. to murphybrownpod at gmail.com. Um, the number, if you want to just call and leave a voicemail, is 646-450-6902. And we have the Spotify playlist, Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist. The link is on our website if you can't find it. And listen to songs from and inspired by the TV series Murphy Brown. We love it. Mm-hmm. And our next episode... Next week will be episode 12, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast.